It's a joy to be here in the name of Bishop Kenneth Goodson. He preached the sermon back in 1984 that welcomed us to Duke Chapel. And when I was elected bishop, I was given the robe that Bishop Goodson wore in Alabama during his courageous acts in the 1960s. I wore that robe all over Alabama. It was a magic robe. I figured if it kept them from killing him when he was bishop, it would protect me, and it did. Uh, here I am. Um, uh, anyone who is still standing, who worked with me at Duke Chapel, can testify, I am not a patient person. Though at times, uh, Dr. Weinkoop's demeanor made me look serene. <laughs> However, today's gospel has something that, it, it has a detail in there that I think takes an impatient person to note. Today's gospel, Mary and Martha, good buddies of Jesus, come and they, they say, Lord, Lazarus, whom you love, is ill. Come quickly. And Jesus sort of brushes it off. He says, oh, it's not a sickness unto death. Well, three days later when he gets there to Bethany, he, he was wrong. Lazarus is dead. Martha comes out and she gives Jesus a piece of her mind. Lord, if you... Mr. Compassion, if you had gotten over here in time, it's too late now. He's dead. He's been entombed for three days. Or in the elegant King James, already he stinketh. <laughs> Jesus, with a loud voice, Lazarus, arise, unbind him, let him go. And Lazarus comes forth. Well, all's well that ends well, but still, my eye falls on a detail. It says that when Mary and Martha sought Jesus for emergency medical assistance for their brother Lazarus, John says Jesus stayed where he was two more days. Excuse me, Jesus is summoned in a matter of life and death, and he hangs out where he was two more days. I mean, John doesn't say uh, he was in the middle of an important sermon series, he couldn't break away. He doesn't say he was doing medical triage, he had a thousand people sicker than Lazarus, ahead of Lazarus. He, all John says is he just stayed there two more days. Uh, we are told that Jesus is best friends with these people. I ask you, isn't that your definition of a good friend? A good friend is someone who drops whatever he's doing and rushes to your aid when you call. And yet John says, Jesus just stayed there two more days. Don't, don't you find this... 72-hour hiatus, uh, very odd. Am I the only impatient one who notes this? 
Uh, the church fathers uh, worked on this and said, well, you see, uh, the, the raising of Lazarus is a prefigurement of the raising of Jesus. That's why this is read a, a couple of weeks before Easter. Get it? Lazarus was in the tomb three days and Jesus was in the tomb three days. But then that, that begs the question, why did Jesus stay in the tomb three days? Why this three-day lacuna between his uh, brutal crucifixion and his resurrection? Why didn't he, why wasn't he just resurrected immediately? Why did he put his followers through all that grief and that disillusionment and pain for three days? Well, the church fathers had an explanation for that. They, they, they said that during those three days, Jesus was entombed. He went down and he preached to the spirits in Hades, those who couldn't hear Jesus when during his earthly ministry, he preached to them, led them out of Hades. The women run back from the tomb on Easter morning and they say, the tomb is empty, he is risen. And the church has asked, well, where was he those three days? What, what was he doing? Why the wait? Why the delay? Uh, I guess it would take an impatient person like me to settle on this. In my first congregation, old folks would sometimes say, they had a saying, God is good all the time. And then people would respond, all the time, God is good. Well, if, if that's true, how come a three-day delay, how come God takes time to be good? I believe not only that God is love, I believe God is love pro nobis for us. But, but why the wait to be love for us? Why, why in the spiritual life are these vast empty spaces? Why so much wasted time and hopeless despair and unanswered questions? Why delayed salvation if God is God for us? We, we don't want God simply to be God for us. We want God to be God for us now. And goodness that is goodness postponed can be the most difficult kind. <laughs> I remember the day it hit me that the time from when Israel went into Egyptian slavery to when during the Exodus God delivered Israel from Egyptian slavery was 400 years. You know in Exodus 3, God comes in the burning bush. He says to Moses, I have heard the cry of my people. I have come down to deliver them from everything that Pharaoh is doing to them. I have heard I am going to deliver them. And though this is not found in your Bibles, I know Moses said, 
Well, Lord, don't rush right over, okay? We've been slaves down here for 400 years. I know somebody who has prayed to God every day for the past three decades to deliver her from the painful and crippling arthritis that she suffers. And she, as of this date, has heard nothing. Thus, Stanley Harawas says, Israel is a name for that people that learned to let God be God, that learned that they weren't in control of their own history. And when you think about it, that's not a bad definition of the Christian life. Long-term training in allowing our time to be out of our control and in the hands of God. That, that's what I think about when I hear that phrase, sovereignty of God, sovereignty of God. I don't think about God's omnipotence. God can do anything God wants to do. No, I think about sovereignty in the sense of God's sovereign freedom to be for us, but in God's own good time. I know in my attempt to be bishop in Alabama, uh, any of my flock there would tell you that a major weakness in my leadership was my impatience. I, I, I rushed things. I, I, uh, I, I did not allow a crisis to ripen before I jumped into the middle of it. I, uh, I so wanted our efforts at church renewal to bear fruit now. I so wanted every pastor's ministry to become invigorated now. I made some mistakes that way. I remember a pastor saying to me when I was leaning on him, asking him, did he know when he might become more productive in his ministry? <laughs> and he said to me, hey, Bishop, the way I figured from the last things God said in the Old Testament to the next time God said anything worth writing down in the New Testament, that had to be at least 400 years. So we can wait two more years for you to leave Alabama, okay? <laughs> we Methodists are big on grace. The word grace means gift. But it isn't grace if it's on demand, if it's predictable, that's not grace. And, and maybe, maybe that's why sometimes God takes time to move, to reach out, to intervene, to act. She said to me, sadly, my son, whom you know, who grew up in Duke Chapel, sadly, as an adult, He's not a believer. He's an atheist. And I, having had experience waiting on God, I said, hey, really what you ought to say is, he's not a Christian yet. 
God's got ways. You tell your son, as he moves into his 40s, he needs to keep looking over his shoulder. Because God can show up anytime God pleases. Uh, it, uh, the Thessalonians asked Paul, how come Jesus hasn't returned? We're worn out from waiting. And Jesus replied, oh, uh, God is eternal. Uh, 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 Paul said, uh, uh, hey, with the Lord, uh, 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 a thousand years are just like one day. Okay. Uh, maybe that's why a cardinal Christian virtue is the virtue of patience. And I'll define patience as the willingness to let God be God in God's own good time. Our lives are not under our soul control. We live on God's time, not ours. Um, and, and maybe that applies not only in life, but also in death. It is conventional at the time of someone's death for mourners to say, I am sure that my loved one is now <clears throat> with God in heaven. And that may be the case, but the historic Orthodox Christianity has more traditionally said that when we die, we wait. The dead wait. The dead lie in state awaiting the last trumpet, awaiting the general resurrection. The dead wait just like Lazarus waited in the tomb. We wait. Maybe our waiting for God in life is, is therefore a kind of training to fall back on the everlasting arms in death and wait for God. B because maybe, that maybe the last Pope was right when he said, only God has a future. We, we don't have a future without the love of God. Uh, a frequently asked question of me when I was exiting as bishop was, what do you think will be your chief legacy? And, and I responded in all seriousness, well, God only knows. <laughs> and I was serious because legacy is God's self-assigned task. We have nothing within us to give ourselves a future. Only God can do that. Uh, maybe, maybe we're made to wait in order for God to purge us of our arrogant urge to take our lives in our own hands and make them turn out right on our terms. 
Maybe God waits in order to cure us of our godly impatience against letting God be God in time. Maybe we got to wait because maybe God is up to more than simply writing a few injustices or soothing of some pain. If it's a new heaven and a new earth, if it's if it's creation brought to completion and renovation, maybe it's it's just it's going to take a while. And and I don't like to wait. Uh, when I go to Dr. Jim Kelly for my health care, or as I define it, immortality therapy, uh, there's a sign in his waiting room, and it says, if you're not called by the doctor in 15 minutes, you report him to President Broadhead. <laughs> and it took Jesus three days to get over, to resuscitate his friend, Lazarus. Um, I preach this sermon hesitantly, because I know there, there's somebody here today that knows firsthand those long, late-night vigils that yearning that is expressed in Psalm 130. My soul waits for the Lord. More than watchmen wait for the morning, my soul waits for the Lord. There's somebody here who knows that. The Psalm ends, 130 ends by saying, with the Lord there is kindness and redemption. Yes, but not yet. Uh, well, I got sick last year, and I was sure it was a dreaded uh, swine flu or bird flu or some other bestial pestilence was afflicting me, and... Uh, I, it, it, it dragged on week after week, and uh, I, I was impatient. Uh, I, I had important things to do and places to go, things to do that you cannot do if you're coughing your guts up and your nose is running. And uh, when I finally got an appointment with Dr. Kelly, I, uh, he examined me and he gave me the diagnosis, quote, it appears you have whatever is going around. <laughs> and uh, when I was free of fever and back on the mend, I was complaining to a friend of mine, a retired campus minister here at Duke Chapel, about the injustice of my illness. And he asked me, what do you think God was attempting to teach you? in your illness. What? Uh, I'm, I'm supposed to learn something from my pain? What? 
I'm supposed to grow closer to God even in illness? What? You, you trying to tell me that you think God, that I was so afflicted because God was trying to teach me something about my mortality and my finitude that I've spent my life avoiding? Is that what you're trying to say? Uh, one day we shall know. One day we shall see for sure Jesus present now, the kingdom of God in its fullness. Though maybe not as soon as we might like.